Turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8 and stand with me if you will. It'll be the last time I ask you to stand. Romans chapter 8. How many of you ready for the Word of God this morning? His Word. Amen. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are God's children, then we're His heirs and joint heirs with Christ. If, say that with me, if, if we suffer with Him, that we may, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That means us coming into our glorified bodies. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. And because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, mark this in your Bible, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the culmination of our faith, the adoption, the redemption of our body. And we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For if a man seeth it, why doth he yet hope for it? Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And one of my favorite verses. And we know that all things, all things, the things that hurt us, the things that brought a limp to our life, the things that leveled us, the good things, the bad things, the inconvenient, the out of season, we know, we're not hoping, we're not praying towards, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. I want to share with you a message and a subject that the Lord has not allowed or graced me to deliver ever before in this subject matter. I want to talk to you and it's no mistake that you're here. Uh, you know, you've been preaching for 30 years. It all kind of blends together. So to have a, an idea and a passage specific that the Lord's not laid upon your heart, it's because he knew would be he, who would be here. And I want to speak to you on the subject of the sadness of the believer. The sadness of the believer. We don't talk about it. Because we feel there's a stigma that goes with that. And somehow we believe uh, that if we experience sadness or struggle with sadness, then our faith is impure or our character is weak. Now, we'll address some of, uh, or it goes without saying some of the things. There's uh, things like clinical depression. There are those that are 
more easily saddened. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into that part. That's a broad, broad subject. But I want to show you that in God's word, that there is a sadness of the believer that is part of the process. It's part of the weakness. It's part of the curse. It's part of the maturation. And we are not to enjoy it. And if you enjoy being sad, you really need to see somebody professionally for a long time. We, we don't, we, it's not that we enjoy it, but it's not something that should control. It's not, it's something that's a part of life. And I, I trust by the end of this service, you will not see this message as a permission to be sad, but understand that it's the lot and parcel of everyone that lives in the faith and you too will experience it. The issue is not will you experience it, but will you let it control you? Growing old is part of the experience. Well, I got faith that I won't grow old. Well, God doesn't heal you of old. He healeth all my diseases. Old ain't a disease. Old is old. And being a Christian does not exempt me from all that happens to others in the earth. But being a Christian gives me the capacity, the permission, and the invitation to be more than a conqueror through him that loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if all of us, of course, feel sad. But I want to ask you, if, if you struggle with, if you are burdened with, maybe embarrassed by, pretty persistent discouragement like your pastor is and does. I want you just to raise your hand. Okay. I have a word for you this morning. Number one, the sadness of the believer is common, normal, and to be expected. It is true as believers we are redeemed from the curse, but we are not exempt from it. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am redeemed from the curse of this world. But I'm not exempt from the drunk drivers and the madmen who will go and shoot up a school. I'm not exempt from the lady driving in the car that's not looking and she's playing on her phone and putting on makeup at the same time. I'm not exempt from those things. Just because I'm a Christian does not mean I live in a bubble and I'm excluded from these things. God did not give us the power to soar above sadness, sadness, but the capacity to live in it and the strength to go through it. Just be like an eagle. And I understand these little quotes and memes and, you know, got the eagle and he just faces the storm. Sometimes that eagle hits a, a tree. Sometimes his wings broke. Sometimes he wakes up and this wing don't work. Yes, there are times, but we, you have to understand that this Christian life is a journey. And it, we are in transit. This is not the end. It's, it's the dress rehearsal. We're going somewhere. And the difficulties of life introduce you to your limitations and introduce you to God's magnificence. I did not get the Bible just as a blueprint in how to live. The Bible said the law was given to show me that I'm helpless. And life was not given to me just so I could soar above it. It's to prepare me for eternity. And if you live a long life in Christ, you shouldn't go into eternity proud and arrogant. We're going to be limping, dragging one leg, eye in our pocket, and barely, 
I'm sorry to break it to you, but if you live long enough, your eyes will stop working. The Bible teaches you. Your teeth will fall out. You'll hear noises in the night. Sleep will fall from you. And our body and our soul is groaning for the day when God will transcend all of our weaknesses and failures and recreate us in a glorified body that will live forever. So if you... If you Deal with sadness, congratulations, you're normal. I, I'm scared of people that are always good. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Next day, how you doing? Oh, if I was any but every day. Now, I believe in positive. Don't get me wrong. I can't stand negative people. I just don't ask them, how you doing? How you doing? I'm so good. Just sit down. I got to tell you about it. And by the time they're done, I'm like, I'm, both of us need to jump off a bridge. Let's just end it right now. But there is a freedom in authenticity. When someone says, how are you doing? You said, you know what? This week has been very hard, comma. But God's grace has been so consistent and persistent. And man, I'm ready to, you know, at the end of the year, sometimes it's just honest. I'm ready to wrap this year up and don't put a bow on it. Just hermetically seal it, bury it, incinerate it, and start over. I'm ready to go forward. But the emphasis should be upon after the honesty. Say, this is a difficult time, but I got strength I didn't know I had. I've got songs in the night, and I see a light on the horizon, and I see Christ saying to me, you are more than a conqueror. Come on, come on, come forward. Number two, it's varying. Stop comparing yourself to one another. If you compare yourself to someone weaker than you, you feel arrogant. If you feel, uh, compare yourself to someone stronger than you, you feel inferior. Sadness varies with people in the weight of it, in the darkness of it, in the effects and affects of it, how long it lingers and the shame it carries or brings. We may not have the power to erase the feeling, but sadness does not have the power to make your choices. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you in my life, I, I understand and there's permission for me to experience all of these feelings, but sadness cannot make me mistreat my wife. Sadness cannot make me, make me be pessimistic. Sadness cannot make me become a critic. Sadness, sadness cannot make me bring accusation against God or blame people. It comes upon me, but it does not have the power to control you and I can prove it. If you are a Christian sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, the fruit, the evidence, if you will, of God's residing presence in you is self-control. No one can make you do anything. Now, the secular humanist will tell you, just pull yourself by your bootstraps and make yourself happy. Well, that doesn't work. I can be honest and in control. Y'all can answer you and say, this is it's just tough. Or if you're struggling at home and, and uh, I'll tell my wife often, and this is just being honest with you. She'll say, how are you? I said, I've been down for like three days. I said, but you ain't did anything. You're good to me. I understand every day I outpunted my coverage. I'm good. I'm fine. Don't, I'm good. My babies are fine. It doesn't matter about the ailments or back. No, no. It's just part of it. And I've learned that's not conceding. Oh, Brother John, don't say it's part of it. You need to be more positive. I'm positive it's part of it. 
It's part of it. Tired is part. Can somebody amen this one? Tired is part of it. Working with crazy people is part of it. Well, I just believe I'm going to speak over these crazy people. Go in tomorrow. They're still going to be crazy. It's part of it. Sometimes the sadness, though, can be traceable. You can trace it back to a lack of health, sometimes. Now, let me go ahead and say the first one. Sometimes it can be traced to nothing, just biorhythms and chemicals. And if you get to looking inward, you can lose yourself in a labyrinth of crazy. It's, it's not, it doesn't really matter. If, I, if you don't immediately know or you can't trace it, just leave it be and just go, I'm just, I'm, you know, issues. I, I'll be all right. I'll work through it. But sometimes you can trace it back to a lack of health. You are a threefold entity. First of all, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit made man in his own image. We are three parts. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. My spirit is that which communes with God and communicates with God. My soul is that which communicates with the earth and with you. My soul lets me know how I feel. My soul feels. My body feels the earth uh, like hot, cold, things like that. My soul connects with you, I should say. My body connects with the earth. And if you are not well in any one of those areas, you're going to struggle. The spirit is, of course, the most important part. And the soul and spirit are very similar. Uh, when God breathed life into man, he became a soul. But soul is just the affections, and it's an inward part of how God's designed us and made us. But if your spirit's not well, you're going to struggle. If your soul's not well, you're going to struggle. And if your body's not well, you're going to struggle. Imagine a three-legged stool, and two of your legs are really great. Well, if the purpose of the stool is to support weight, if you're supposed to sit on it or stand on it, then it is not the most important thing that two of the legs are great. It's that all three are strong enough. Some of you are some moms today, and this isn't in my notes, and I just I feel prompt to say, you're just, you struggle. You'll say depression and other things, but you are great at being a mama and you're using whatever little energy is left over for being a, da uh, 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 a wife but you don't have any energy to be a daughter or a girl or a friend or a person and you're trying to hype up these other two legs and make them stronger and the truth is and I, I've shared this with my wife years ago my wife gives everything I'm just, I'm going to brag on her. It's just the truth. She gives everything to our babies. I get to eat next. I'm second helping, you know. Babies first. That's all right. We married. I just, just barely nudged grandma out after nine years. I'm, I'm just getting, well, I might not. Have. I'm working on it. But I had, I, we sat down and I said, I said, may I just speak into your life? And she said, yeah. And I showed her how our children are flourishing. I said, your husband, look, I'm good. I said, what do you do for you? What do you? Well, there's no time. There's no energy. I understand that. But you can't be good till you're good. If my spirit's not well, I have to commune with God. I have to commune with his word. I have to get right. I have to make my spirit well. My soul has to be well. That's with people. Now, you may not like this. This is not arrogance. This is wisdom. There are people I cut out of my life, not because I'm better than them, but I can't 
They're killing me. It doesn't mean I'm not there for you like emergency. Oh, call me. But like go hang out with you. Do you have anybody in your inner circle now that when they call, you see the message pop up? You, it's like all the energy just sucks out of it. You ain't even picked up the phone yet. And we wonder what's wrong with it. We have to have the honest talks. And I'm not strong enough to carry both of us. I love you. I like you. I pray for you. But I am not the Holy Spirit. And I, I can't heal you. We have toxic relationships. Have you ever went out with friends and all the ladies? Ladies night, we're going to go to Ryan's and we're going to do all this and we're going to sit at a big table and stay for four hours. See, ladies, it's on a budget. I'm trying to relate to everybody. We're at Ryan's. And then there's one or two in there that hate their husbands and talk about them the whole night. When you go home, you look at your husband, you go, hmm. You become, you start thinking like... And we've not controlled our circle and our friends and ungodly voices, unwise voices are weakening that leg. You have to be healthy as a person. And I have to replenish. And I want to take just a moment with this on the soul. This is not spiritual. It's just truth. I've already told you about communing with God in your spirit. But if your soul's not good, your spirit's weakened. What replenishes you? I'd like to say for me that it's other people. It's not. And I've come to the place in my life and I care. I very much care what you think about me. But you don't know me. I know me. And if I can get by myself and turn on nothing. When I retire... Lord willing, I promise you, I won't have a smartphone. I probably won't have a phone. I don't want me. Some of y'all got 10, ding, ding, ding. And I'm, just, I'm reaching for a cigarette. I don't even smoke. And I'm looking, for, I'm looking, I just, to replenish myself, I get alone. I go walk around the little lake across the street. I will go sit in the golf cart. I'll sit on the deck. I'll just be outside by myself. Because in quietness, I replenish my soul. I go out, we went out with friends last night, and Kelly and I got in the car, and I said, I feel like I can, I can just run. I feel just so energized, because they are of like precious faith, and we talked about God and the things of God, and I felt strong, and you're, and you're replenished like that. And some of us never replenish, and we wear this martyr's thing, I give it all away. But we're bitter, and we're empty, and we're bouncing checks. And the service charge on the check costs more than the check. Bouncing relational checks. Bouncing spiritual checks. Bouncing physical checks. Your pastor did not take care of himself physically the last couple of years. Period. It was a it's sin, but I just didn't deal with it. And... Uh, I'm not looking for any congratulations or applause. It's a stewardship issue for me, which I was very embarrassed. And uh, I have gained 50 pounds in the last three or four years. Well, in 28 days, I'm down 23. And my goal is 50 in four months. And here's what I'm saying to you. Because I'm a better me when I'm well. I was having to physically nap uh, and I know what some of y'all are going to say. I wish I got nap. My job, I'm 5 to 5.30, can to can't. 
Let me finish. I'd have to nap four or five days a week. My body would shut down two hours at a time. Wish I was. Sign up. Start your church. There, there's no line. <laughs> now serving number one. <laughs> Go after it. And I have had to nap once in three weeks. So what I'm telling you is this. God has given you his word to build your eternal life on and, and common sense to understand if I'm a three-part being, all three parts got to be well. She has to be a good person, health, healthy, whole, a good person as well as the good wife, as well as the good daughter. And she gets to determine. I asked her uh, a couple months ago, and this is not brownie points because she lets me go all the time. I said, I want you to go to the beach by yourself. And she's like, like any mama, we got it. Me and grandma take on the world, man. Little nanny on Tuesdays, grandma, we got, we got it. So Kelly went, and in one day, her countenance had come back. She's having quiet time on the beach. It was just, you got to pour back in the cup. You got to pour in spiritually. You got to pour in relationally. And you got to pour in physically. And anyone can take the cheap way out and say, well, I ain't got nobody. Well, how's that working for you? It's quiet, but it's truth. Sometimes you can trace it back. You can trace it back to when you live more self-conscious than God-conscious. When you live more temporal than eternally minded. When you live carnally instead of spiritually. When you're a control person. How many of you control people? Oh, look, half mass. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many of you control people? Okay. Let me talk to you about us. We try to control that which is not ours to control. We try to acquire more than God has given. We try to preserve the things that are passing. We work to keep things away from us and worry about the things that may come to us. We try to stack the deck to make our life good and that futile labor is killing us. And we're sad because it doesn't work. Surrender is not about you being in control. Surrender is about God being in control and leaving the results to him. Concern? Yes. Worry? No. Here's the payout. The payout is if you stop being God, you wouldn't be so tired. You think I'm kidding. The mental energy that you spend worrying about stuff, then you come home and your wife goes, hey, handsome, really? You go, whoa. What's he? He's worrying about what all he's having to do. I know this is too practical for some of y'all. You're too deep for this, but when we labor to control that which is not ours to control, it can produce sadness. Did you know that wisdom produces sadness. Here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.8. For in much wisdom is much grief, and those of you that will increase in knowledge, your sorrow increases, which means this. The more you grow up into Christ and the more knowledgeable you are about his word, you understand and see more clearly, eyes to see what this world is and where this world is going and what's going on in the lives of people. And you see not just the geopolitical arena, but the lives and the world under the, 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 the deception of the evil one. And you see the darkness as dark as it is. And you see the friends that are struggling. And the more you learn, 
the more heavy life is. So do you unlearn it? No, we have to learn how to be heavy and have hope. We need to know where to put our eyes and what to say. And, you know, people say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, the world is heading towards the great tribulation. And at the great tribulation, the man of sin was revealed. And this geopolitical figure will bring all the world into a one world lit religion and a one world government and a one world monetary system. The church will be already gone from here. And then Christ is coming back to the earth and every eye will see him, which means it's going to be on the television, the smartphones, internet, everything. Every eye will see him live and also on the repeat. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in half and he is going to destroy all the enemies of Israel and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. See, these are the things that are coming upon. No, the earth ain't going to hell. Jesus is coming to the earth. That's what's happening. That's where we're headed. The sadness of the believer, number four, is educational. Oh, I hope you're writing this down. Sadness teaches you who you are and who you're not. Teaches you your leanings, your weaknesses, your limitations, your tendencies, your triggers. It teaches us. My watch is stopped. Okay, there I am. It teaches us what we can and cannot do. See, when, when you're sad and you try to be unsad and you realize you don't have the power to make yourself unsad or happy, you realize, hmm, maybe I'm not as powerful or as some charismatics tell you you have the power to create no you don't it teaches you what you can and what you cannot do it teaches you the difference between the essential and the urgent it teaches you the difference between wants and needs and it reveals to us what we can live with and what we can live without and this one is pivotal for me sadness is educational to me because it teaches me and has taught me the beauty of sorrowful worship and the glory of sorrowful praise. What do you mean? Paul said, I am sorrowful yet rejoicing. There is a praise like we had this morning. There is a faith-filled, expectant, celebratory praise. And there is a praise that does not come at the removal of sadness, but is birthed through the tears of sadness. Sorrowful yet praising, sorrowful, yet rejoicing, sorrowful, yet worshiping. Those worship sets, no offense to our worship team or my worship pastor, need no leader, need no song, just you heart water that comes out of your eyes, a trembling and a weakness that says, in it all and through it all, I want you to know that you're still my God. You're still good. Life may not be good, but you are good. Everything may be against me, but you're not against me. I may be an absolute weakness, but you, oh God, are strong. I, my efforts may be futile, but you speak and things that are not come to pass. And so I have learned, not learning, 
I'm still learning, but I have learned. I have experienced this through long years of specific trials. I have one of two choices. I can either cry through them or cry to God in them. And I chose to sit. Sometimes I would just sit, no Bible. I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to be with you. And I would cry like a child and sit there. Sometimes I would groan. Sometimes I would lay on the floor. Sometimes I was angry. So I would just cry. And it would be like in my mind saying, here you are. Here, Lord. Because if they hit the ground, or like the country music songs, crying in your beer, you know. I just don't know why I'm so depressed and got your country list going 62 songs. I can tell you why. Anyway, side note. I'm crying in my beer. I'm crying on my friends. I'm crying by myself. I've pulled the blinds, put the dog outside, and I'm just crying. Those tears go into the carpet and they vanish. But if I cry unto the Lord, it said he saves my tears. It means I am near enough to you. I'm engaged with you and I knew which tear that was that fell from your eye and I knew it's redemptive crying and it educated me. I want to give the Lord all of my worship. Mountaintop, plateau, valley, and prisons. And at midnight, in the lowest dungeon, in the lowest part of the prison, the lowest part, the Bible says that Paul and Silas, here they were beaten, stripes, naked. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. I want to ask you honestly, how did they feel? They felt beat up. They felt cold. They felt humiliated. Have you ever prayed humiliated? All everybody knows what you say about God and look at what's happening to you. They prayed alone. They prayed confused, but they prayed and the Bible said, and the prisoners heard them. You know that if people hear you, God hears you. And the Bible says that God sent an earthquake. So what's the gap there? God heard them and sent an earthquake. Sometimes he sends an angel. And the angel does his little, and the doors swing open, right? Sometimes he just, <laughs> prison doors open. Sometimes you get lowered in a bucket like Paul out of a window. Sometimes it doesn't seem so supernatural. But this time he sent an earthquake. Now, I know this is not good theology, but I heard early on one of them old Pentecostal preachers, and, and I just liked the way it sounded. I know, it, I know it's not theologically correct, but just, just hear me out. He said, and Paul and Silas were in the darkest place of their life. They were in the loneliest place. They were by themselves bleeding and naked and humiliated. And they began to sing praises unto God. And God's foot got to tapping. <laughs> he said, and it shook the earth. And I'm like, that ain't right, but it sounds good. It, it feels right. There is a part of it that his foot may have tapped, not tapped, but his heart moved. Do you hear me? It moved the heart of God so much so that he said, I want them to know that this deliverance come from me. And he sent an earthquake and shook the prison and all the doors come open. Not Paul and Silas's. They're still chained. All the prison doors, well, they're still in the prison. All the prison doors came open. 
chains fell off of the people. And the jailer come in and he goes, oh my God, I'm, he's going to kill himself. He goes, I'm dead anyway. And Paul and Silas says, hey, don't kill yourself. We, we're still here. Okay, time out. <laughs> if the prison doors swing open, why aren't they gone? Because God was there. And said, I'd rather be in my sorrow with you than in my freedom without you. And if God's here, that, what made it beautiful was that praise reached other people. Now, you, you don't build a doctrine out of this, but it's, it's right here. By doctrine, I mean a formula. People that did not even ask God were delivered because they were in proximity to Paul and Silas. Your praise can go through your house and permeate to your ungodly children, your ungodly spouse. It can reach your friends and they can have doors open in their life that God gives them access to walk out because of your praise and your freedom. Even though we can't see anything else, we know that this is not all there is. And even though it feels that it will always be this way, we know that this too shall pass. And even though we are powerless, we know that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And Psalms 34 declares that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. And many are your afflictions. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Praise is, uh, sorrow is educational. It teaches me the beauty, the necessity, and the Power of sorrowful praise and worship. Now, if that's your only diet, you die. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And here's what some of you are doing to yourselves. Here's what some of your friends are doing to you. And here's what the world's doing to you. Do you remember when the Israelites were captured? And the, their, the captors mocked them and said, Oh, come on, sing us some songs of Zion. Come on. And they said, How can we... Sing in such a weary land. How can we, how can we do that? It's, it's hard to do that. And it said they, they had hung their harps in the willows, which means they put them in the trees and walked off. Some of you have quit singing and quit thanking the Lord because you have adopted sadness as an identity. And it is not a residence. It's a hotel. You'll check out, and you'll check back in. <laughs> sometimes it's situational, sometimes it's chemical, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's soul, but it's not where we live. Don't send my mail to my sadness. Ben, if you would come, please, sir. Number six, it's transformational. The sadness of the believer is transformational. What do you mean? And I've been waiting to tie it together. Do you not know that God knows all the things necessary to bring you into the fullness of the stature of Christ? He is preparing you for eternity. You're the project. I know my kids now, all that, what you want for breakfast? Fireballs. No, you can't eat a fireball for breakfast. Donut, candy. I don't like for, for lunch, what you want? Elisha just want bread. Every day, just want bread. 
I said, no, eat these green beans. And you won't believe it, but I'm telling you, sadness is part of your vegetables that does something in you that happiness does not. It's not my favorite. I don't care how you cook green beans. Cook them out any way you want to. Oh, you've never had them blanch. Blanch, ranch, it don't matter. They, they're okay. They're fair. Oh, we got some uh, asparagus spears. Ooh. I got baked potato over here. You're talking about asparagus spears. What, you, what do you ask for first? Pass the potatoes. Yeah, pass the french fries. But there are elements and components in the vegetables, and we tell our children, they're good for you. And they go, yeah, but I don't like them. Well, that's irrelevant. You're going to eat them because you need these elements. And for the believer, God says, I love you enough to give your life sadness because it will bring out those traits that joy and happiness do not. And it will not be your lot, but it will be part of the meal. I bring this to a close here. It's transformational because sadness teaches me or trains me to look upward instead of inward. It trains me to lean into and upon the Lord. It strips us of pride. How can we be pride if we can't even whip sadness? It strips us of independence. It strips us of self-reliance and self-glorying. It reveals to us that our position in Christ is stronger than our feelings in this world. I cannot change my feelings, but I can set my path. Bible says that our weapons are not carnal, they're not earthly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing every thought, feeling into the captivity of my knowledge of God, which means this, I may be sad today, but God's plans for me are still in place and the end of the righteous is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we quote the word and the word does not remove the sadness. The Word is the oil that gives me the grace to navigate the tightest of places and the most narrow places. On our farm, we have huge spider webs. I'll be on the gator and I'll drive through like a six foot. I'm just eating bugs. And then it wraps around your head like saran wrap. If you hit it on a gator, I mean, you have to go take it. You can't just pull a piece off. I give these illustrations. I don't even know what I was going to tell you about the spider now. Oh, I got, I'm, I got you. It's, it's in there. It's just rattling around. Uh, how can every other bug just fly by and they're hung? I mean, they're, you know, like an extension cord. They just wrap, you put it down and it's in 60 knots. They're all like this. And the spider is all across it. A fly can go by and it's wing touch it, and it's hung in there. How? Well, when God made that spider, it secretes out of the little pores on the end of its feet an oil that lets it navigate what destroys other insects. You have the oil of the Holy Spirit in you. And you can navigate depression. You can weep till your eyes shut and still be strong in spirit and victorious in spirit you can still say my outer man is decaying and it's breaking down but my inner man is renewed every day and I'm coming into all that God has for me there's enough oil 
God has put enough oil in you to navigate where you are today with all your disappointments and sadness. Sadness is the, lie, is the knife that helps us cut the cords to this earth. I, and I know the Lord's listening. I, I fear him, especially when I preach. If I were to say something that's not true and knowing the, the terror of the Lord, I do not know a man alive that I would swap my life for. That's the truth. Nobody alive. But this isn't enough for me. It's filled with sorrow and hurt and disappointment and disillusionment and discontentment and the law of diminishing returns beats you in the face, which means your 33rd piece of chicken is not as good as the first one. And, you know, it, the new car gets old, you know. They told me, somebody told me today, I told them I was 56. They said, well, 55 is the new 30. I said, no, it's not. Where, where, you, where do you get, got that on Facebook? There ain't no, 55 is 55. And high mileage. There, there's a, the things that have hurt me, picture a hot air balloon. Those of you that are visual. The things that almost killed me motivate me to cut the cords to this earth. Raising that boy about killed us. <coughs> when my wife died or my husband died, about killed me. That church split, that about killed me. Sadness is what untethers you from this world. So when the trump of God goes off, all you got is a piece of dental floss hanging to this world. And the trump goes off and you go, yes, whoosh, whoosh, gone. It's educational. It's transformational. It's the love of God for you. And finally, it is the scriptures that teach us that sadness has its day, but God has the last say. And in Revelation, and I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and he shall be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Wait a minute. I want you to see this spiritually, not intellectually. He'll wipe all the tears away. And there shall be no more death. Neither shall there ever be any more sorrow. I'm going to go a step further. Neither shall there ever be any more pain. For the former things are done. And when God's the same God that created everything, he decrees the shutting down of death, sorrow, and sadness. And it withers like a vapor off of a boiling pot and it goes away. And he said, behold, I make all things. And when he says new, there is going to be a pulse of glory that comes from the throne of God throughout all the earth. And the new believers will enter in into a, the, the new, the, those glorified we will not just be glorified, but the capacity to have sorrow will be gone. 
I, I don't feel it. So how do you navigate it, John? The hope of heaven. I said all that to tell you this. Cry. Just cry and hope. Knowing that there's a day coming when if you try to cry, you won't be able to. Scripture says it. No, when God says no more, what part of no don't we get? Y'all stand with me. No more. No more. Not another more. Not another shot. Not another disappointment. Not another discontentment. Not another disillusionment. Not another depression. Not another feeling. Not another angst. Not another anxiety. And God stepped out on nothing and said, let there be light. And it happened. And he's going to do the reverse. Let there be no more sorrow. Gone. None. None. <laughs> I'm, I love Ben said, and that, that is an old cliche, reminding the de devil about his future. And You can say this. He said, so look at you, Mr. Believer. How are you? How are you? You didn't ask me where I was going. No, look at you. Where's the victory? There. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Would you do me this courtesy? Would you just bow your heads this morning? Those of you that are young, you've never heard this. You, you don't know where we're going, so just let us do this. But I got saved in the mid-80s. This song was about 10 years old. Especially the verse. I want you to let this minister to you before we go home. Josh, would you play this for us? Turn it up for me. You know it. Sing along with us. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Singing hallelujah. Listen to these verses.
All right, I want you to open your eyes and listen, listen to this verse. supply all the strength that we need he just reach till we reach the other side yes there are some of us who have laid down their lives but we all shall live again on the other side. We are going to see the king. Then we will be singing. Amen. I leave you with this word from the Lord and his scriptures and the promise. Promise. It's impossible for God to lie. Promise. This weeping, it's going to endure the night of this earthly journey. But I swear to you, joy comes in the morning and it'll never go away. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.